Well, good morning. The title of today's message is How to Start a New Year, Part 3. Uh, first or the last of the year, the last Sunday in, night, or in 2014, 2013, I'm sorry. Let's try again. Good morning. <laughs> the title of the message today is How to Start a New Year, Part 3. On December, uh, whatever it was, last Sunday, December 2013, I started this message and I intended it to be one message. And I didn't get finished and so I had to make it Part 2. And last week I didn't get finished, and so I had to make it part three. And so I've decided we're finishing the message or the series today, lest I have to change the title to How to Have a Good Summer. (laughs) So we are going to be looking at that today. You know, the end of one year and the beginning of the next is a great time to evaluate where you've been and also where you're going. Did you know that roughly half of Americans start their new year with resolutions for personal improvement? About half of Americans do. But did you also know that the success rate of that is about 8%? Just 8%. Now, you know who the 8% are, don't you? Those are the people who started out the year eating collard greens and black-eyed peas. That's who the 8% are. And if that didn't make sense to you, you should have been here last Sunday. We all know that resolutions usually don't work. But we keep trying, don't we? And because, here's the reason we keep trying, because if we're honest... We understand that there's something about our lives, and probably most of us, there's something in our lives, there's, there's a habit, there's a relationship, there is a challenging situation that we're facing that deserves our attention this year. So we make a resolution trying to address that problem, trying to address that habit, try, trying to address that challenging thing we're facing. We make a resolution, but usually those don't work. But the Bible gives us some information that will work 100% of the time if we'll just practice it. And that information is found in Philippians chapter 3. Would you open God's Word to Philippians chapter 3? You know the text by now probably. We started in verse 12 and we worked our way through 12, 13, and today we're at verse 14. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, we're going to start there. Paul explains the secret to his amazing life and ministry. Paul says, here's the secret. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward, in Christ Jesus. Using this text, I'd like to tell you how to start, get a good start to a new year. Just to review, since some of you weren't here the last two weeks, let me review where we've been as we've walked our way through this text. We said, first of all, if you want to start it, have a good start to a new year, evaluate where you are with God. Paul said in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He evaluated his own life, he evaluated where he was with God, and he understood he still had some things he needed to work on. And if you want 2014 to be different, you need to do that too. You need to evaluate where you are with God and what needs to change in your life. Then we said number two, if you want to start a, get a good start to the new year, don't be manipulated by your memories. He said, this one thing I do, verse 13, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. 
And we told you that if Satan can keep you looking back, he can keep you from moving forward. That's why you need to forget what is behind. And we told you there was three things you need to forget. And I think they'll be on the screen here. Three things you need to forget. You need to forget your failures, your grudges, and even your successes. I like the New Living Translation of this verse where it says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. And then last week we said, if you want to get started, to get a good start to a new year, keep striving for what God wants in your life. Just keep striving for what God wants in your life. Twice, in verse 12 and again in verse 14, Paul uses the phrase, I press on. Now the phrase, I press on, means I go for it with all I've got and I don't give up. I don't let anything stop me. I don't let anything interrupt me. I press on. I go for it with all I've got. And I'm not going to stop. That's what the phrase, I press on, means. So Paul tells us in verse 12, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul is saying, I'm not just pressing on trying to make it through my circumstances. I'm not just pressing on trying to make it through life. I've got a bigger purpose than that. I've got a spiritual reason for pressing on. And I love the way he phrases it. Look at the text. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And he was referring to his conversion experience on the Damascus Road, Acts chapter 9. Where he said, there was a reason he took hold of me. And now I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, that, re- that catches all of us up. That, that was review. Now, there's a second time that he uses this phrase, I press on. It's found in verse 14. And I want you to read it with me right off the screen. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, in your Bibles, if you have your Bible open to that text, I would ask you to underline the word goal. It's a very important word in this text. I press on toward the goal. The Greek word for the word goal there means to watch for. It means to take notice of or to fix your eyes on something. And I like that particular definition, to fix your eyes on something. Paul was saying, I press on and I have fixed my eyes on something as I'm pressing on. There's something out there I'm looking for. There is a finish line I have my eyes fixed on. And that is my goal. Now, when I read that definition, I instantly thought of something else that Paul wrote in another letter. You might want to put your finger there in Philippians. Go over to the left. Go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You're going to use your Bibles quite a few times today. I hope you'll follow along with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and following. Paul says this. And notice how he's talking about hard times. Difficult times in his life. Paul says, we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that, this is underlined in my Bible, so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. Then he says in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, though outwardly things are hard, though outwardly things are difficult, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. 
And look what he says in verse 17. Some of you need verse 17 today. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then that verse that that caught my attention earlier. So, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul says, I've got my eyes fixed on something. And though my life has been difficult, there have been days when I've been hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. It's not always been easy, but I've had to press on. And the reason I have pressed on is because I have fixed my eyes on something. My eyes, I wonder what he's got his eyes fixed on. Well, thankfully he tells us in the very next verse. You see, when Paul wrote this letter, there were no chapter divisions. So what he wrote in chapter 5, verse 1, is just a continuation of what he said in chapter 4, verse 18. So let's start in chapter 4, verse 18 again, and then continue on. He says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. What is he talking about? He tells us in the very next word, next verse. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house where? In heaven, not built by human hands. Do you know why Paul didn't quit? In those times when Paul had it rough, and those times when life was pushing in against him, in those times when it was very difficult for him to understand what was happening or why it was happening, in those days when he had enemies and he had problems and he didn't have a lot of answers, do you know why he didn't quit? Here's why he didn't quit. The destination gave him the determination he needed to keep going. He had his eyes fixed on something. And the destination, heaven, gave him the determination to keep going. Paul's focus was not on what was happening around him. Paul's focus was on the end of the race. His focus was on the finish line. The finish line became his focus. And the finish line was heaven. And that destination gave him the determination he needed to press on. Now, I've understood that in, in a different way before. Maybe this will help some of you understand what I'm trying to tell you. When Lisa and I were dating a long time ago, I met Lisa when, I was, when we were in college, Carson Newman College. I was a sophomore. She was a freshman. We dated all the way through college. Then I graduated, and then I, I should have asked her to make sure I got all this information right, because sometimes memory is not as good as hers. But, but if, if memory serves me correct, correctly... Her final year, she had to do that final year at home in Maryland because her mom was dying of cancer. And so she had to move back from Carson Newman College, Jefferson City, Tennessee, back home to Maryland and uh, go to a community college there, try to be at home and help her mom and her family and all those kind of things. Very rough, hard time. Um, and so that meant that she was living in Maryland and I was living in Tennessee. Now, now by this time, I just, I just got to tell you something. By this time, I had it bad. I mean, I really did. I, I, was, I was deeply, deeply in love. Still am, by the way. Just want to make you understand that. Still am. Still got it bad. I was deeply in love. Now, here's what, what the situation was. I was living in Tennessee. She was living in Maryland. It's about nine hours away. And so what I would do, every chance I got, I, I would drive up to see her. Now, what you need to know about your pastor is I don't like to drive. Now, well, let me rephrase that. If we're going somewhere, I want to be the one driving. 
okay? And this is just the way I am. You know, if I'm, I want to be the one driving if we're going. But what I mean is, I don't like to ride on long trips. I don't like to go on long trips. I'd rather go get in a plane and get there and be done with it. But, you know, I was a college student or just out of college, and so I couldn't afford the flights up to Washington, D.C. area, and so I was always driving that nine hours back and forth, back and forth, just to go see her. Now, on that long trip, it was long because I was by myself. You can only look at the road so long before you get bored. You can only listen to the radio so long before you get bored. And that was, believe it or not, this was back before we had cell phones. So it's not like I could talk to somebody while I was driving. It, I was by myself. And then it would get, I'd get so tired, I'd get so bored, and then I'd start to get sleepy. And I remember rolling down the windows. Back then you had to roll down the windows. You know? And I would roll down the windows, and I'd turn the radio up, and I'd start singing, I'd start yelling, just trying to stay awake. And I hated it. But the destination gave me the determination to keep going. And then I'd hit the D.C. traffic. Have you ever been to Washington, D.C.? Washington, D.C. Beltway is of the devil. I'm just going to tell you. It's, it's just... <laughs> I, I don't remember how many lanes, five, six, seven lanes on each side of the interstate. And it almost always hit it at rush hour. If you've ever been in Washington, D.C. Beltway at rush hour, it is horrendous. Bumper to bumper, every side, slow crawling. I'm not the most patient man in the world. And I just hated every part of that until I got to Shady Grove Road exit. Because I knew at Shady Grove Road exit, I was getting close to my girl. When I got to Shady Grove Road exit, it wasn't long before I turned to 4008 Ashland Brookway into that driveway. And when I turned to 4008 Ashland Brookway and she opened that door, I want to tell you something. The destination gave me the motivation to keep going. And it was all worth it. Paul. Paul said essentially the same thing. Paul said, I'm hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Got all kinds of problems and difficulties, but I press on. Why, Paul? Here's the reason. I press on towards the goal. I've got my eyes fixed on something to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus. The destination gave him the determination to keep going. You see, a Christian has to be willing to press through the good times and the bad, and especially the bad sometimes. I have the conviction, I want you to listen very carefully. If you've checked out, I want to make sure you hear what I'm about to tell you. Listen very carefully what I'm about to tell you. I have the conviction that most of us get at least one knockdown punch in life. Most of us do. It might be a death or a divorce. It might be a disease. It might be a wayward child. It might be bankruptcy. It might be an alcoholic relative. And some of you are going to say, well, Pastor Keith, i got way more than one. I didn't say you'd get just one. I said all of us will probably get at least one. Some of you haven't gotten it yet, but it's coming more than likely. Few of us will ever get out of life without at least one knockdown punch. In fact, my wife says something that uh, recently that just really caught my attention. She said, you know what? She said, there's, there's always a next. I said, what do you mean? Well, you see, as, as pastor and pastor's wife, we know and deal with and love and minister to a lot of people. And a lot of hurting people. A lot of broken people. 
church members and friends who are dealing with cancer and grief, financial problems, family problems. She said, sometimes it just makes you wonder, who's next? Because there's always a next. Who's the next person who'll find out they've got cancer? Who's the next person who'll lose their spouse? Who's the next person who'll have a wayward child? Who's the next person who'll get terminal cancer? There's always a next. Life is full of adversity. Adversity is a part of life. There's no escaping it. There's no way to get around it. You must go through it. But by God's grace, we don't have to be defeated by it. That's why Paul says what he did in verse 14 and why it's so important. I press on towards the goal. I've got my eyes fixed on something. Towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying that he's learned that there's just sometimes you've got to press on. There's just some days you've got to press on. There's some weeks you've got to press on. There's some months you've got to press on. There's some years you've got to press on. If you're going to passionately pursue Christ, you can't stop when life gets hard. You can't stop when life gets discouraging. You can't stop when life gets disappointing. You sometimes have to just press on. Weightlifters and athletes know all about this. They're all the time saying, man, you've got to push through the pain. It's playoffs, baby. You've got to push through the pain. Well, Christians have to do that too. How do you push through the pain? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us in another text, in Ephesians 6.10, when he said, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. You see, the enemy will come against you, but never stop. The enemy will come against you, but never give up. You must press on. Zig Ziglar said, getting knocked down in life is a given. Getting up and moving forward is a choice. That's what Paul was saying when he said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, Paul is using athletic imagery here to say that the Christian life is like a race. And we need to look forward at the prize at the end of the race. A Greek or a Roman athlete in that day, when they ran in the Olympic Games, if they won the race, they were rewarded with a a, a wreath, a crown. It was a laurel wreath. It was a crown, but it was a crown that that eventually wilt uh, of laurel leaves. It was just a crown that you were given to the winner. I'm not sure that they had a second, third place. Didn't, I don't think they had a silver and a bronze, but it was, if you won the race, you got the crown. You got this laurel leaf wreath placed on your head. But now don't be misled by this phrase, I press on toward the goal to win, to win the prize. Don't be misled by that. Paul is not saying that this is something that you have to earn. He's not talking about earning your salvation. He's not talking about... Uh, trying to somehow win your salvation, trying to do enough so that you win your salvation. That is not what he's talking about. So, well, Pastor, how do you know that? Because if you look down to verse 16, he explains it for us. Uh, Over in Philippians chapter 3, verse 16, here's what he says. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Live up to what you've already attained. It's already yours. You're not striving for it. You're not striving to get it. 
You're not striving to earn salvation. You've already obtained salvation. So what he's saying is this. This is not an issue of living for your salvation, but you're living faithfully because of your salvation. Live faithfully for Him because of your salvation. That's the word picture he's using. It's the same word picture Paul used in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Go over to the left for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And again, he uses this imagery of a race. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. It was a laurel wreath crown that would eventually die. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the what? For the prize. Paul is simply saying this to you and to me. Even though the road is rough, the way is right. So press on. Even though the road is rough, the way is right. So press on. Do you know that some of the greatest Christians are those who have suffered the most? Have you ever heard of the name Charlotte Elliott? You may or may not know her, but you probably know a song that she wrote. Billy Graham Evangelistic Association made the song famous because they sing it at the end of every crusade. And it's the song, Just As I Am. Charlotte Elliott wrote that song, but let me tell you a little bit about her story. She was born a healthy individual. She had a, a pampered life, really. Her father was quite wealthy, and she was, had a pampered, privileged life for the first 30 years of her life. And then something happened around the age 30, and the doctors never did quite figure out what her problem was. But right around the age 30, she became an invalid. Her body was racked with pain. Weakness was her constant companion. Exhaustion, her constant companion. Pain was never far from her. She was most of the time bedridden. She could sit in a chair a little bit and then have to go back to bed. And it never got better and it never let up. And it, they, they didn't have the medicines. They didn't have the tests they could run like they do today. So for the last 50 years of her life, she was what they called an invalid. After she got this disease, she became very angry, very angry at everybody, but especially angry at God. She was raised in a Christian home. She knew the gospel, but she was not a professing Christian. But now she wanted nothing to do with God. Her father asked a famous evangelist to come see her. His name was Caesar Milan. And this famous evangelist came to see her, was trying to talk to her and encourage her, and she didn't want anything to do with him. In fact, she became very abusive in her language towards him. The hatred and the anger that had built up spewed out into him, uh, or towards him. And eventually, when things calmed down a little bit, he said, Charlotte, do you know what you need to do? And she looked at him in disgust and said, no, what? He said, you need to come to Jesus just as you are. Invalid, angry, hateful. You need to come to Jesus just as you are. 
She was not saved that day, but later could not get away from the thought of coming to Jesus just as you are. And eventually she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And then she pressed on. Because you see, it didn't, her body didn't get better. Her spirit was now well. She knew the Lord Jesus Christ, but her body did not get better. She continued to be an invalid. She continued to be racked by pain. She continued to be uh, uh, racked by exhaustion. She, she just never got over it. She was never better. But one day she sat in a chair and she wrote the words, because she couldn't get this idea of come just as you are, and she wrote the words to that famous hymn, Just as I am, I come. Oh, by the way, that's not the only song that she wrote. In fact, she wrote a lot of songs over the next 50 years. And they, they put some of those together in a book called the Invalid's Hymn Book. So when you sing that song, Just As I Am, she's not only telling you her personal testimony of how she came to faith in Christ, but she's also telling you, I pressed on. It was not easy. But my eyes are not fixed on my circumstances. My eyes are fixed on the finish line. My eyes are not, is, are not fixed on what is seen. My eyes are fixed on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. This problem I'm in is temporary. This, this broken body I have is temporary. What I have is temporary, but what I'm looking at is eternal. And so she would say, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. T.B. Maston said, suffering can make you bitter or it can make you better. It really all depends on whether you decide to press on or to give up. Recently somebody told me that the reason that the windshield in your car is bigger than the mirror in your car is because where you're going is more important than where you've been. I like that. Paul decided to focus on where he was going. He decided to focus on the finish line. He had a goal. His eyes were fixed on something. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's interesting, I'll close with this, it's interesting that in the very last letter that Paul wrote that we have in recorded Scripture, in the very last letter that he wrote, he continued this idea of pressing on in the race called life. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. This will be our last text, but just look at what Paul said here. Verse 6, 7, and 8. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Now he's talking about here his death. He's saying, I'm about to die. I know that. I'm near death's door. The time has come for my departure. And look what he said in verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I kept the faith. I finished the race. I pressed on. And I kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. That's the prize he was talking about in Philippians. Now there, now there is in store for me a prize. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Do you know what you really want if you're a Christian? I don't know all that you're going through, and some of you I do know, and it is heartache, and it is turmoil, and it is awful. 
But I believe here's what you really want deep down inside. Deep down inside, you want to get to the end of your life and say, I finished the race. I kept the faith. I was faithful till I got to the finish line. And when you take your last breath and you go across that finish line and you step into heaven, the destination will make it all worth it. So right now, while you're still here on earth, let the destination give you the dedication you need to keep pressing on. Don't give up. Don't give out. Don't quit. Press on. Let's pray together. Father, I want to pray for these dear people, some of whom I know they're dealing with problems and heartaches and difficulties that are so hard. Sometimes hard to live through. Sometimes hard to understand. Sometimes just even hard to know what we're going to do the next day. But I pray that through the grace that You give, through the strength that You provide, through the hope that only comes from You, that You would enable them to press on towards the goal. May they fix their eyes in the days ahead. Not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Not on what is temporary, but what is eternal. Thank You that You are calling us and leading us to our eternal home that we call heaven. May we walk faithfully with You until we get there. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.